This is the scripture of the day. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 through 13. Then he... down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe seated. About 125 years after David unified the tribes of Israel into one mighty kingdom, about 100 years after David's son Solomon started his reign strong, asking for wisdom and building the temple in Jerusalem, about 70 years after Solomon's decision-making became questionable and he married many pagan women, allowed his wives' gods to be worshipped in Israel, accumulated great wealth, assembled large armies, and even instituted slavery for his building projects. About 60 years after Solomon's death resulted in the spiritually compromised kingdom of Israel being, unsurprisingly, divided into two rival kingdoms. And seven kings into a line of successively bad rulers in the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, these are the days of Elijah. The prophet who came forth to challenge the then reigning king of Israel, Ahab. Ahab is introduced in chapter 16 of 1 Kings with this blunt assessment. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And then scripture goes on to introduce Ahab's wife and partner in crimes against God's people this way. 
And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of those before him, he took as his wife Jezebel and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than had all the kings of Israel who were before him. These are the days of Elijah, a prophet called to speak on God's behalf, to call out idolatry, idolatry that was infecting the kingdom from the throne on down. And when we pick up Elijah's story in today's text, something amazing and powerful has just happened. Elijah had challenged 450 prophets of Baal to a contest, a contest to see who was real, God or Baal. Of course, only God is real, and the contest ended in fire raining down from heaven and in the death of all of Baal's prophets at Elijah's hand. In the aftermath of this tremendous show of God's force, it is somewhat surprising then that we find Elijah where we do at the beginning of our scripture today. Elijah is afraid. Elijah is hiding in the wilderness at the furthest point he could get from Ahab and especially from the undeterred Jezebel who has placed him on the top of her most wanted list. Elijah is feeling so woefully inadequate that he lies down to sleep, hoping never to wake again. But God is gentle with Elijah. God provides food and encouragement through an angel. God allows him time to rest. And God meets him at the end of the 40-day journey to Mount Horeb and asks Elijah what he is doing there. God listens as Elijah talks. Elijah talks not about the victories he has witnessed, not about the provision God has granted to him time and time again. No, Elijah talks about the people's waywardness. He talks about the death of God's own prophets at the people's hands. And he talks about the immediate threat to his own life. These are words from a prophet who has seen many of God's unmissable, unmistakable, undeniable actions already in his life. God provided food to Elijah years before when he was in a wilderness. Food that time not from angels, but from ravens. God provided a bottomless supply of oil and grain in the home of a widow who took Elijah in during years of a drought God had sent to punish the people and the rulers of Israel. God resurrected from the dead the son of that same widow when Elijah pleaded with God to do that for him and for her. And of course... God sent fire from heaven and gave Elijah a decisive victory over hundreds of prophets of Baal. Despite all of this, Elijah is weary and unsure. 
but God listens. And then God shows Elijah that he is in the small things as well as in the big showy things. In the sound of sheer silence, the text says, Elijah recognizes that God is there. Imagine for a moment the comfort of that realization. After all of the noise, and let's be honest, after all of the violence and destruction of his recent experience, in the sound of sheer silence, Elijah knows that God is there too. These were the days of Elijah. Days of confrontation and wilderness, days of earthly frustration and heavenly provision, days of death and resurrection, days where God was in the fire and in the silence. So how are your days, our days? Do we relate to Elijah in the constant confrontations we face with the many others in the world who do not agree with our experience of God and his word to us? Do we understand why Elijah would run into the wilderness despite its desolation, or maybe even because of it? Do we feel some of Elijah's frustrations with life and its droughts, and its quakes, and the other scary physical and spiritual challenges that it brings. Do we sense, as Elijah did time and time again, the abundant provision of God through the care of angels among us, as well as in the everlasting presence of his spirit within us? Do we mourn like Elijah, when sickness or violence leads to the death of others created in God's image, regardless of how innocent or guilty they might be? Do we experience resurrection like Elijah, both in the physical rejuvenation found in the blessing of modern medicine and its miracles, and in the spiritual hope found in Jesus when heavenly healing is given? instead of an earthly one? Do we expect to only find God's presence in big, fiery moments like the ones Elijah called forth? Or do we also seek God's presence by giving time for sheer silence like the one Elijah found in a cave on a holy mountain? God is in it all. But are we listening as Elijah was listening? After Elijah recognizes God in the sound of sheer silence, God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Our text today does not include what happens next, but let me tell you what happens next. Elijah answers God. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, 
For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Yes, you heard me right. Elijah tells God exactly the same thing he did as when God asked him the question the first time. Elijah has seen God's mighty acts, has witnessed his resurrecting power, has been fed by his merciful provision, has seen him in the fire, has heard him in the silence. But Elijah is still frustrated, fearful, worried, and unsure. So what is God's response to Elijah's second diatribe, the same as Elijah's first? God's response was to tell Elijah to get back to work. God sends Elijah off to anoint new kings and to also appoint a workmate and successor for himself. As a commentator put it, Elijah does not have to give up his frustration, but God will not let him give in to it. Elijah does not have to give up his frustration, but God will not let him give into it. So Elijah goes and he does just as God instructs, anointing kings and the prophet Elisha. Elijah continues to confront Ahab and Jezebel and after their deaths, their wicked son who succeeds to the throne. And one day, God sweeps Elijah up to heaven in a chariot of fire. We've been talking for the last several weeks about the importance of zooming out from the minutia of our daily lives so that we can sense God's presence in them. So that we can hear God's voice in the noise and in the silence. So that we can be fed by God's hand and refreshed by God's spirit so that we will recognize God's ever-creating, ever-resurrecting, ever-renewing, ever-faithful action in the world, so that we will respond to Christ's call on our life, so that we will be able to move forward despite our insecurities, so that we will be kingdom-focused people despite our fears, and so that in all we do, and in all we say, God's glory will shine, Jesus' love will be felt, and the world will be transformed by the Spirit at work in us and through us. I'd like to ask the band to join me on the stage, and then I want us all to just take a quiet moment together, a quiet moment to talk to God. I want everyone to get comfortable. Maybe close your eyes. Let's breathe a deep breath. Why are you here? God is asking.
let's um, set down our frustrations and our insecurities, our worries and concerns and fears. Let's set them down before the God who created us all. Take this time to tell God what is on your heart.
Breathe a deep breath. Be still and listen for God now. Become fully aware that God has always been with us and for us. That God is currently with us and for us. Will always be with us and for us. Know that God not only is always listening to us, but God is always communicating with us in big ways and small ways, in loud ways and in quiet ways. Let us listen for God. Let us listen. And then let us go wherever God is leading us. Will you stand? May we go from this place today ever ready to listen, secure in the knowledge that God is in the midst of doing mighty things and God needs our hands and our feet to be at work beside him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us go into the world in his peace and in his power. Amen.